1: Go episode two hundred fifty of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, February fourteenth, two thousand twenty-two. Yes, it is Valentine's Day, twenty twenty-two. A happy Valentine's Day to you and yours. Uh, I hope that you have willingly and gleefully overspent on flowers and chocolates and heart candies and all of the stuff on which we are compelled to overspend on Valentine's Day. And this is an historic Valentine's Day for us as sports fans, because it comes the day after not just the Super Bowl, but also the day after what was potentially a monumental shift for the team now known. As the Commanders, hashtag take command. Uh, Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio, of all people, gave us some potentially seismic news on Sunday as Florio had not one but two major items regarding what's going on with Dan Snyder of the reignited workplace misconduct scandal. The items are the latest items that suggest That the dream that had been the impossible dream, Daddy Boy being out as owner of the Commanders, just may be happening. I know this sounds like pie-in-the-sky talk. I know this sounds like fantasy talk. I get it. But never forget, often in life, so often in life, when something is over, you don't realize that it's over until it's already over. And it may already be over. For Dan Snyder as owner of the Commanders. I'm gonna get to those items from Mike Florio next segment. But yes, we have a new Super Bowl champion, the Los Angeles Rams, your Super Bowl champions for the 2021 NFL season, a 23 20 victory over the Cincinnati Bengals at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California on Sunday night. Inglewood, always up to no good. How great was the halftime show? Although, personally, I wanted more of Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. No disrespect to the great Mary J. Blige. No disrespect to 50 Cent and everyone else, but Dre and Snoop are all time, okay? Dre and Snoop are maybe possibly the greatest hip-hop duo ever. Dre and Snoop are legends. They are goats, okay? Dre and Snoop are the Joe Montana, Jerry Rice combo of hip-hop. And to me, the more of them during that halftime show, the better. To me, with these halftime shows, less can be more. When you have two icons like Dre and Snoop, I don't know, maybe this is just me, but I'm just like, let them do their thing, okay? We didn't need all of those other people during that halftime show. And again, it's not like all of those other people are so bad or anything like that, but Dre and Snoop are iconic. Them doing California Love was just tremendous. I never wanted that to end. Anyway, the Rams, they are Super Bowl champions as an NFL postseason that began with a lackluster wildcard round, ended up being really good over the final three rounds. My biggest commanders related takeaways from the Rams winning Super Bowl 56 are coming up. Also, quarterback news. We over the last few days, especially on Super Bowl Sunday, had a lot, and I mean a lot, Of quarterback news. I'm going to cover what matters the most to us as fans of the quarterback needy commanders coming up, as we have items on Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, Kyler Murray. How about the Kyler Murray stuff from Sunday? And even Kirk Cousins. Yes, I said Kirk Cousins. Uh, we need to discuss all of this. There's a lot to sort through as now the NFL offseason is truly beginning. You're going to hear a bunch of key audio during our quarterback segment as well. Uh, I have a John Riggins segment for you off him ripping the idea of the name Commanders. Yeah, how about what El Rigo had to say? The greatest running back in franchise history. Uh, not exactly loving it the idea of the team for which he is the all-time leader in regular season rushing yards and regular season rushing touchdowns, now being known as the Commanders. You'll hear what Rigo said and my reaction to what Rigo said in a bit. Uh, And I'll discuss the rest of our Washington, D.C. sports weekend, including a really bad loss for the Capitals on Sunday afternoon, 4-1 to the lowly Ottawa Senators, at Capital One Arena. We had another loss for the Wizards, a 123-110 loss to the Sacramento Kings at Capital One Arena on Saturday night. We also had comments from Wizards president and general manager Tommy Shepard on Friday that we need to get into. And we had lots of college basketball, a gut-wrenching loss for Maryland on Sunday afternoon, a 62-61 loss At number three, Purdue, we had yet another loss for Georgetown. The Hoyas fell to 0-12 in the Big East with an 80-66 loss to Creighton at Capital One Arena on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, we had a lot of losing at Capital One Arena over the last few days. uh, But we did have more wins for Virginia and Virginia Tech, which will play each other in Blacksburg on Monday night. Yes, big one For Wahoo Wah at the Hokies on Monday night, the Cavaliers won their fourth consecutive game, a 63-53 win over Georgia Tech at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville on Saturday. The Hokies won their fifth consecutive game, a 71-59 win over Syracuse at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg on Saturday evening. So a lot to discuss, as is usually the case on a Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. But this show in particular, a very loaded show. So great to have you with us. Thank you for the continued ratings and reviews for this podcast. Uh, A reminder, if you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please give the pod a five-star rating. If you have yet to do that, uh, you can now rate Podcasts on Spotify. And uh, if you're using Apple Podcasts, please write a brief one or two sentence review saying how much that you like the podcast. If you haven't yet done that, the ratings and the reviews help to make the podcast successful. Advertisers look at the ratings and the reviews. And I really do appreciate you guys for doing the ratings and the reviews. I read the reviews. They're very nice. Uh, I'm very grateful for you guys uh, for doing those things. All right. I got lots of tweets on what's going on with Dan Snyder. Is this in fact the end for Dan Snyder as owner of the team? You can always tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me as well, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Commander Rob, happy Thanksgiving. Tweet from Commander Bird, Al, don't go getting our hopes up. Tweet from Chris Epp, what can we the public do to help? How can we keep the momentum going. Tweet from Adam, please God, I pray the Snyders are relieved of their duties as owners. Tweet from Jim Steele, I'll believe it when I see it. Tweet from King Akbar 87, new name, new owner. That's not General Skandar Akbar, is it? A tweet from Dave, I can only imagine the crossroads the owners are at right now. Because forcing Dan out risks him airing out the other owner's dirty laundry. Tweet from Spoiler of Hounds. I want to believe, Al. I want to believe it. Well, Spoiler of Hounds, remember what the radio voice of the Capitals, John Walton, said during their run to the 2018 Stanley Cup Championship. It's okay to believe. It's okay to believe. Tweet from Stan Carter. Can new owner rename (laughs) the team... Again. Oh, please. Not another name change. Uh, We can't deal with that again. Who's going to make sure that FedEx field is empty and has zero production value so that we can announce a new name again? Well, you know that Dan Snyder right now is working his lawyers rather hard. Uh, That's a Danny problem. If you, though, are in need of legal help, know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. Paulson and NACE is a law firm that is ready to represent you and fight for you if you've been wrong. Paulson and NACE handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. But also know this about Paulson and NACE. If you own or run a Washington, D.C. based or West Virginia based business, Paulson and NACE can help you with your business insurance policy. A business insurance policy is meant to reimburse you for losses incurred in catastrophes like fires or burglaries, but business insurance also includes business interruption insurance with the COVID 19 pandemic and resulting restrictions. There may be legal options available to you to recoup your losses. Contact Paulson and Nace. To find out more, the attorneys at Paulson and NACE can help you review your business insurance policy and understand what options you have in running a business in these uncertain times. So whether you're dealing with a personal injury, medical malpractice, or business insurance situation, contact Paulson and NACE. Lean on the expertise of Paulson & and Nace. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. These guys are excellent at what they do. Call Paulson and Nace and schedule a a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. See what Paulson and Nace can do for you. The phone number is 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule your no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Well, the Los Angeles Rams may have won Super Bowl 56 on Sunday night, but we Commanders fans may have actually had the greatest victory in the NFL on Super Bowl Sunday. Look, like many of you all believe that Dan Snyder is out as owner of the Commanders when Dan is actually out as owner of the Commanders. He has lasted through so much and in fact has thrived through so much for us to just be so sure that he's going to soon be out as owner of the team. But that said, everything that continues to come out, and I mean everything, is in the direction of Dan being out as owner of the team. This reignited Washington workplace misconduct scandal has completely turned things around in terms of how we perceive what may be coming with Dan Snyder as owner of the team. And yes, I said may because we just don't know, but the momentum right now is undeniable. Where that momentum will actually take us, who the heck knows, but understand what's happening right now. So we on Sunday got two major items from Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk of all people. Now, as I have said, Mike Florio is a notorious hater of our team. He and his outlet, pro football talk have bashed the team for years. Uh, Florio was very much an anti-Redskins person in terms of being anti the name. Florio and PFT have taken countless shots at the team over the years over a variety of things. Now, certainly some of the criticism has been totally warranted and a good bit of Florio's hate for the team has had to do with Florio's hate of Dan Snyder. But to me, what's also true is that some of the Florio criticism has been over the top and unfair and just plain wrong. This is why I have called Mike Florio fake news Florio. Well, fake news Florio on Super Bowl Sunday was our friend as Commanders fans. This is like Joy Reid helping out Donald Trump. This is like Sean Hannity helping out Joe Biden. Two forces that are sworn enemies coming together as one. Mike Florio and us as Commanders fans coming together as one on Super Bowl Sunday 2022. So one of the big things with Washington's workplace misconduct scandal, of course, has been the lack of a written report in the Beth Wilkinson investigation. It was on a recent installment of this podcast, episode 246, that I revisited the report from the sports junkies from last March off everything that has come out recently regarding The workplace misconduct scandal. The sports junkies on 106.7 The Fan on March 5th, 2021 said that they had received information from Beth Wilkinson's report on her findings in the investigation. The recommendations per the junkies included, quote, force the owner to divest ownership of his team and, quote, i.e., force Donny Boy to sell the team. Now, Multiple reports then emerged of an NFL spokesperson saying that what the junkies reported was quote absolutely false and quote and that the league had, quote, received no such report, end quote. And 106.7 The Fan, on March 8th, 2021, issued a correction of sorts. Quote, the league has denied receiving a final report. However, both in a general statement and in response to specific questions from us, based on those unequivocal denials, we now believe that our source was mistaken and that the excerpts of the report that were shared with us have not yet been sent to the NFL. We do believe in the authenticity of the documents we reviewed and that they are from the Wilkinson investigation, but we are unable to confirm that the report was a final draft or that it had been delivered to the league office. End quote. Uh, Something that I talked about on episode 246 was, okay, given what we now know in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal and how it has been handled by Dan Snyder in the NFL, could it be that what the junkies reported last March 5th had in fact been from what was supposed to have been the written report in the Beth Wilkinson investigation. Well, Mike Florio on Super Bowl Sunday reported the following on Pro Football Talk regarding the Beth Wilkinson investigation. Quote, I'm told that as reported at the time, by 106.7 The Fan after the station obtained a copy of a document that was never actually submitted to the NFL. If Wilkinson had been asked to submit a report, the report would have recommended that owner Daniel Snyder be forced to sell the team. End quote. So according to Florio, what the Junkies reported last March 5th was in fact based on on what was supposed to have been the written report in the Beth Wilkinson investigation. At least according to Florio, Beth Wilkinson, in her written report that was never submitted to the NFL, recommended that Daniel Snyder be forced to sell the team now known as the commanders. That is a massive reveal, if in fact that reveal is accurate. Also from Florio odd Sunday was this during NBC's pregame coverage for Super Bowl 56 and pay close attention to what Florio says at the end of this. Here you go.
2: Rapid allegations of sexual harassment and other workplace misconduct within the Washington Commanders Organization resulted in a 10-month investigation conducted by attorney Beth Wilkinson. On July 1 of last year, the league issued sanctions, but the league has kept the results of that investigation completely secret. In fact, the league didn't even ask attorney Beth Wilkinson to prepare a written report. I'm told that if she had, one of her recommendations would have indeed been that owner Daniel Snyder be required to sell the team. More recently, Congress has been pushing the league and the team to provide more information publicly. In fact, earlier this week, the league and the team were squabbling over which documents would be given to Congress. And 10 days ago, a former employee named Tiffany Johnston spoke to Congress and made allegations directly against owner Daniel Snyder. New allegations that hadn't previously been investigated. The league is now going to investigate those. And I'm told for the first time ever, there is a sense among ownership that the time may have come for Daniel Snyder to move on.
1: So, how about that? From Mike Florio. How about that from Mikey Florio at the end there? Quote, I'm told for the first time ever, there is a sense among ownership that the time may have come for Daniel Snyder to move on. End quote. This now is a third major item within the last week suggesting that the NFL is turning on Dan Snyder. The first item came last Wednesday, the mass confusion regarding the launch of the second investigation in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. The investigation was announced last Wednesday morning by the commanders. The commanders in their announcement said that they had hired an independent investigative team, to look into former team employee Tiffany Johnston's allegations made at the hybrid roundtable before Congress on February 3rd. Now, of course, the allegations have to do with the behavior of Dan Snyder, who is the owner of the commander. So Danny essentially was launching an investigation into himself and was launching an investigation into something that he already had called a lie, because Danny on February 3rd said the following in a statement, quote, the allegations leveled against me personally in today's roundtable, many of which are well over 13 years old, are outright lies, end quote. Well, the NFL later in the day on Wednesday, put out a statement saying that the league, not the commanders, will conduct the investigation into Tiffany Johnston's allegations against Dan Snyder. Quote, last week, the league stated that we will review and consider Miss Johnston's allegations as we would any others regarding workplace conduct at the Washington Commanders. The league, not the team, will conduct an independent investigation and will be retaining an investigator to determine the facts shortly. End quote. So the NFL smacked down Dan Snyder last Wednesday, and then on Thursday, we got this. Multiple media outlets obtaining a letter from the NFL to the two members of Congress who have been leading congressional involvement in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal, Representative Carolyn B. Maloney and Representative Raja Christomorthy. The letter featured the NFL acknowledging that an e-discovery vendor used by Wilkinson Steckloff, the league-hired firm leading the investigation, possessed approximately 109 thousand team documents collected in the case. The league wrote that the vendor can't turn over the documents unless the commander's consent, quote, because of its concern that it could be sued by the team or its owner, end quote. Also wrote the NFL in the letter, quote, the NFL promptly directed the team to provide its consent to the vendor, but the team repeatedly has refused to do so. End quote. Now commander's owner Dan Snyder denied these claims On Thursday, through his lawyer, Jordan Sieve, quote, the commanders have never prevented the NFL from obtaining any non-privileged documents and will not do so in the future, end quote. But here you had, on consecutive days last week, Wednesday and Thursday, major signs of a rift between Dan Snyder and the NFL. Wednesday, the NFL saying, no, Danny, you're not launching an independent investigation into Tiffany Johnston's allegations. We are running the investigation into Tiffany Johnston's allegations. And then on Thursday, the NFL essentially throwing Dan Snyder under the bus to Congress. So we get those developments last week. And then we got what we got from Mike Florio on Sunday. Quote, I'm told for the first time ever, there is a sense among ownership that the time may have come for Daniel Snyder to move on, end quote. The rift between Dan and the NFL seems to be real, very real. And this rift could be what pushes the other owners in the league to ultimately turn on Dan and say the heck with him and oust him as an NFL owner. Put aside what Beth Wilkinson apparently recommended in her written report that was never submitted to the NFL. What has mattered here more than anything regarding Dan staying on as owner of the commanders has been the support that he has had from the other owners and the NFL. And remember, the owners run the NFL. So really what matters the most here is how the other owners view Dan. Once Dan loses the support of the other NFL owners, he is done. And for whatever reason, he has had the support of the other NFL owners. I think primarily because of a fear of what Dan would do were he to be ousted as an NFL owner. Dan would go scorched earth and he would leak things like crazy, and he would file lawsuits like crazy, and the NFL owners would never hear the end of Dan Snyder being out as an NFL owner. But there is a point at which all of the problems that Dan Snyder has brought as owner of the commanders become too much. And we may have reached that point, and Dan may well have lost the support of the other owners and consequently the NFL. And this is like the mafia, okay? As an NFL owner, you are a made guy until you are no longer a made guy. And once you are no longer a made guy, you're done. And if Dan Snyder is in the process of no longer being a made guy, then he is done. He is finished as owner of the commanders. Again, we'll see where all of this goes. We shall not declare victory until victory is attained. We shall not count our chickens before they hatch. But for now, be aware, be very aware of what's happening. The momentum toward Dan Snyder actually being out as owner of the commanders, the momentum toward a coup of Donny Boy actually happening is more real than it has ever been. Up next, My biggest takeaways for the Commanders off the Los Angeles Rams winning Super Bowl 56. I'll get to those thoughts after this. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or that is preventing you from achieving your goals? You or someone you love falling into depression or struggling with anxiety can keep you from what you care about. That's where BetterHelp Comes in. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You'll be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Now understand BetterHelp is not a crisis line, BetterHelp is not self help, BetterHelp is professional therapy done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas, and BetterHelp is available for clients worldwide. BetterHelp is convenient. You can log into your account anytime And send a message to your therapist from whom you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as you do with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. And so BetterHelp makes it easy and free to change therapists if needed. And BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. You deserve that. And so here's a special offer. Go to betterhelp.com Galdi. That's better H-E-L-P dot com slash Galdi, G-A-L-D-I, and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You'll get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp just by going to BetterHelp.com slash That's BetterHelp.com slash and get 10% off your first month. So many people have been helped by the great therapists at BetterHelp. How about this from a client on a therapist named Mary Allen? Quote, since I've worked with Mary, I've seen so many positive changes in daily life. I always look forward to our conversations because I feel so supported and Mary always has great ideas and solutions for me, end quote. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that BetterHelp is actually recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Look, we all know people who have struggled with mental health. Perhaps you yourself have struggled with mental health. There's no shame. Those days are done. So many athletes have dealt with mental health difficulties. Take control of your mental health. You deserve to be happy. Go to betterhelp.com So the 2021 NFL season now is complete and the Los Angeles Rams are Super Bowl champions. First time for the Rams since the 1999 season. Although if our commanders were putting together a crest for the Rams, the commanders would say that the Rams are Super Bowl champions for 2022 and for the first time since 2000. But whatever, you get the idea. Uh, What a game, Super Bowl 56. Ended up being a really good game. 23-20 the final. Rams over the Cincinnati Bengals at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. Two big takeaways for me, for our commanders off the Rams winning the Super Bowl. Uh, Number one is Sean McVay. And look, I'm not going to do some tedious Sean McVay lament rant of him having been Redskins offensive coordinator. I have addressed the Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur lament For us as Commanders fans, I did a whole thing on this a few weeks ago, episode 232, in case you missed it. There's a lot of context and nuance regarding the Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur thing that people, especially those in the national media, uh, miss regarding the skins, having had McVay, Kyle, and LaFleur on the coaching staff at the same time when Mike Shanahan was Skins head coach and then all of those guys eventually being gone but I do want to say this it is amazing what Sean McVay is doing as an NFL head coach Sean McVay was an offensive assistant for the Skins for 7 seasons 2010 through 2016 he was the Skins assistant tight ends coach for the 2010 season he was the Skins tight ends coach from 2011 through 2013 and he was the Skins offensive coordinator from 2014 Through 2016, everyone knew that Sean McVay was bright. Everyone knew that Sean had a chance to be a great NFL head coach, but nobody was sure what to expect. Like, how could you have been sure? Well, what Sean McVay has done as an NFL head coach is have one of the best five season starts that any NFL coach has ever had. The Rams hired Sean McVay as head coach in January 2017, and he has been spectacular over his five seasons as Rams head coach, 2017 through 2021. Sean McVay as Rams head coach in the regular season has gone 55 and 26 and won three NFC West titles. And Sean McVay as Rams head coach in the postseason has gone seven and three with two NFC championships. And now a Super Bowl title. And Sean McVay is only 36. He just turned 36 on January 24th. That is remarkable. He's 36. He already has a Super Bowl championship, two conference championships, and is 55 and 26 in the regular season and seven and three in the postseason. Uh, Just incredible. You know, there have been all kinds of rumors that McVay could actually step down as Rams head coach to pursue a career in broadcasting and spend more time with his family. Who knows what Sean's thinking? I'll just say this. He has the chance to be the greatest head coach in NFL history. You know, like he actually has a shot at being that. Now, the standard by which every NFL head coach should be judged is Bill Belichick. Sean has a long ways to go until he's Belichick in terms of achievement, but Sean McVay is off to an outstanding start, and all of the great things that were said about him as a Skins assistant have turned out to be true, and then some. What a job Sean McVay has done as Rams head coach. Heck, the guy already has a substantial coaching tree. Bengals head coach Zach Taylor, Los Angeles Chargers head coach Brandon Staley, and soon to be named Minnesota Vikings head coach and former Skins offensive assistant Kevin O'Connell all of those guys became slash will become NFL head coaches of having been assistants on Sean McVay's Rams coaching staff. Again, he just turned 36 and he's got a legit coaching tree all of a sudden in addition to all of his accomplishments as Rams head coach. A second Commander's related takeaway for me regarding the Rams winning Super Bowl 56 is that the Rams' unique plan to win a championship Paid off, and the Rams' unique plan features a complete disregard for first round picks in NFL drafts. In an era in which we value picks in NFL drafts so much, myself included, uh, the Rams do not value picks in NFL drafts so much, and that approach has paid off. Uh, and there is a contrarian aspect to this that I do very much admire. You know, as everyone is zigging, The Rams are zagging, and I always think that there's something to be said for that. But, you know, there's irony to this, too, because it was the Rams, right, who were the recipients of massive draft capital in the RG3 trade. The Skins, nearly 10 full years ago now, March 2012, traded three first-round picks and a second-round pick to the Rams to move up from number six to number two in the 2012 NFL draft to ultimately take quarterback Robert Griffin III. But a funny thing happened with that trade. While RG3 ended up not working out for the Skins beyond his spectacular 2012 rookie season, the Rams actually ended up not doing much with the haul that they received from the Skins. The Rams in February 2012 hired Les Need as their general manager. He technically was the GM for the RG3 trade, though the Rams head coach at the time, Jeff Fisher, had a lot to do with that trade too. Jeff Fisher and Mike Shanahan were friends. But you wonder if that trade altered how Les Snead looks at draft picks. The Rams' penchant for trading away draft picks in recent years really has been something else. April 2016, the Rams traded a 2016 first-round pick, number 15 overall, a 2017 First round pick, two 2016 second round picks, a 2016 third round pick, and a 2017 third round pick to the Tennessee Titans for their 2016 first round pick, number one overall, a 2016 fourth round pick, and a 2016 sixth round pick. The Rams used that 2016 number one overall pick on quarterback Jared Goff. April 2017, the Rams traded a 2018 second round pick as part of a package to the Buffalo Bills for a package that featured receiver Sammy Watkins. March 2018, the Rams traded a 2019 second-round pick as part of a package to the Kansas City Chiefs for a package that featured corner Marcus Peters. April 2018, the Rams traded their 2018 first-round pick as part of a package to the New England Patriots for a package that featured receiver Brandon Cooks. October 2018, the Rams traded a 2019 third-round pick and a 2020 fifth-round pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars for edge defender Dante Fowler. October 2019, the Rams traded their 2020 and 2021 first-round picks and a 2021 fourth-round pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars for corner Jalen Ramsey. March 2021, the Rams traded quarterback Jared Goff their 2022 and 2023 first-round picks and a 2021 third-round pick to the Detroit Lions for quarterback Matthew Stafford. And November 2021, the Rams traded a 2022 second round pick and a 2022 third round pick to the Denver Broncos for edge defender Von Miller. That is a lot in the way of draft capital for a lot in the way of veteran player players. The Rams, as we speak, have zero first round picks. 2017. Through 2023, the Rams' last first round pick was taking golf with the number one overall pick in the 2016 NFL draft. The two longest first round pick droughts in NFL history, by the way, do belong to the Redskins an 11 season drought, 1969 through 1979, and a seven season drought, 1984 through 1990. Yeah, what the Rams are doing actually uh, is shades of what the Skins have done multiple times in their franchise history. The Skins incredibly made just four first-round picks over 23 NFL drafts from 1969 through 1991. That's it, just four first-round picks for the Skins Over 23 drafts, 69 through 91. The four first round picks 1980, Art Monk, 1981, Mark May, 1983, Daryl Green, 1991, Bobby Wilson. Now, the NFL of 1969 through 1991, very different than the NFL of today. There was no salary cap. There was no true unrestricted free agency. But you look back at that run, right, 69 through 91 for the Skins, uh, those 23 seasons went quite well for the Skins. The Skins, over those 23 years, won three Super Bowl championships, won five NFC championships, and had 18 winning seasons regular seasons now why have the Rams done so well despite having traded away so many draft picks especially first round picks well a few reasons uh a many of the trades that the Rams have made have worked out like the Rams have made trades for players who ended up working out and the one that stands out big time off Super Bowl 56 right is the trade for Matthew Stafford and you know you think about that trade now the Rams had Jared Goff the Rams had spent a lot of draft capital to get Jared Goff and Goff had gotten the Rams to a Super Bowl, okay? Not that he's great, but you know it's not like he was hideous throughout his tenure with the Rams, and yet the Rams decided that Jared Goff wasn't good enough. The Rams decided that they needed to do better at quarterback than Jared Goff, and so the Rams gave up more draft capital, upgraded at quarterback to Matthew Stafford, and now have won a Super Bowl. That took some real chops for the Rams to do as they did to go from Golf to Stafford, especially off what the Rams had given up to get Golf, But the Rams ended up being rewarded for that courage, for that chutzpah. Uh, the Rams went through with the big swing and the swing connected. Uh, B, the Rams have done a good job with their non-first-round picks. It's easy to say that the Rams don't care about NFL drafts. That's not true. That's not accurate. Uh, good players are everywhere in NFL drafts. And the Rams have done a really good job of finding good players in rounds beyond the first rounds in NFL drafts and see Sean McVay and his staff have done a terrific job of maximizing what they have if you have great coaching you can be more apt to take big chances as the Rams have been and McVay and his coaching staff and the prowess possessed by McVay and his coaching staff have allowed the Rams to take these big chances and not be burned by these chances. You know, it's funny, the Rams' roster construction philosophy has not been unlike what the Skins did in the early days of Dan Snyder's ownership. You think about it, right? The Skins of the 2000s, like talking about 2000 through 2009, made a bunch of win-now moves, traded away a bunch of draft picks, but didn't win uh, quite like the Rams have won in the Sean McVay era. The biggest differences, of course, are that the Rams, unlike the skins in those days, which were, remember, the Vinny Serato days, uh, have done a very good job in NFL drafts. And the Rams, unlike the skins for the most part in those days, have had really good coaching. But pretty impressive what the Rams have done with Sean McVay. And there are some things to be thinking about for sure as a Commanders fan, of what the Rams have done. Up next, a lot to go through in terms of quarterback developments in recent days regarding our quarterback needy Commanders. I'll get to all of that after this. All right, my friends, I want to tell you about something special, a great, easy, and affordable way to have your meals, HelloFresh. HelloFresh is great. Uh, With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. This is why HomeFresh is America's number one meal kit And HelloFresh is offering something really special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. More on that shortly. But if you want to eat healthy or at least eat healthier, uh, you want to eat food that tastes great and you don't have time to be making trips to buy food and coming up with complicated recipes, you gotta try HelloFresh. We tried HelloFresh and loved it. Uh, I got a HelloFresh box that was heavy on meat. We cooked up some great ground beef and delicious pork, had tostadas, they were excellent. My wife followed the detailed recipe that HelloFresh provided, in addition to all of the ingredients that we needed. And my four-year-old son loved the food, and trust me, that's big, because he's impossible to please, okay? He's a major diva, he's worse than his father. Uh, HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients right to your door, including farm-fresh produce that arrives within a week, so you get convenience without skimping on quality. HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items from which to choose each week, including veggie, calorie-smart, family-friendly, and gourmet options, providing plenty of variety and HelloFresh offers flexibility with which you can customize your order and HelloFresh will save you money. A HelloFresh meal on average is 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal of the same quality and you can save on average over $65 a month by ordering HelloFresh instead of grocery shopping. So here's what you do. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 16 and use the code galdy 16 for up to 16 free meals and three free Gifts. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash Galdy16 and use the code Galdy16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Galdy16 and use that code Galdy16 for the special offer. So we on Sunday evening had Super Bowl 56, but we in the days and hours prior to Super Bowl 56 had all kinds of stuff on the quarterback market in the 2022 NFL offseason. And, uh, this stuff, of course, is of utmost interest to us as commanders fans given the commanders quest this offseason for a franchise quarterback. There was so much swirling in the hours leading up to Super Bowl 56 on Sunday regarding quarterbacks in the NFL. We begin with. Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson. So it was now two Fridays ago that posted on the Instagram page of Jonathan Allen's wife, Hannah Allen, was that photo of John Allen, Hannah Allen, Russell Wilson, and Russell Wilson's wife, the singer and actress Sierra, standing happily side by side on a football field in the lead up to the 2022 Pro Bowl, which took place the following sunday afternoon that last monday morning february 7th kevin sheehan on his radio show on the team 980 said that russell wilson per sources isn't against being traded to the commanders all of this comes off a variety of items last offseason that indicated that russell wilson wasn't thrilled with the seahawks well russell wilson on friday went on with the mad dog chris russo on mad dog sports radio on sirius xm he was part of their conversation
3: You know how this is going to work now. There are a lot of teams out there that need quarterbacks. And, you know, we know how great you are. Washington, you know, we know there's a lot of teams that are going to say they're going to be in this Russell, Will, Tampa, who knows? There's going to be a lot of these teams. If it's your choice, do you want to stay in Seattle?
1: Are you open to moving? Let me hear your take on what your future, from your standpoint, what you would like to see. Well, the, the quarterback business is always hard to find. Obviously, it's a it's a tough one to find. And, you know, those those
4: guys who are really special and can play for a long time, and you know, which you like are, when you think which about, you are. When you think about guys like you know Brady and Breeze and and uh, some other great ones, Rogers himself, and just so many others.
1: But um, you know, I've been fortunate to be able to play uh, ten amazing years, you know, in Seattle, and so my hope and goal was to be back there and, and, and to keep winning it there you know that's the that's the vision that's the goal and uh that, that's always been it and, you know, it's, it's never really been anything different
3: so you uh, it push comes to shove if things worked out you'd like to stay
1: oh yeah and to win to win more there that'd be that'd be all i want to win three more Super Bowls. that's my focus is to get back and win it again and for us to 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 overcome all the obstacles that you know uh, and that, that's there's nothing more fun than that all right so said russell wilson to chris russo regarding staying with the seahawks quote my hope and goal is to be back there and to keep winning there. That's the vision. That's the goal. That's always been it. It's never really been anything different. End quote. So to me, that right there is only gonna further fuel speculation that Russell Wilson may ask to be traded. I still think that it's more unlikely than likely that the Seahawks will trade Wilson, but what he gave to Chris Russo was a very political answer. Quote, my hope and goal is to be back there and to keep winning there. That's the vision. That's the goal. That's always been it. It's never really been anything different. End quote. Uh, My hope and goal? Wilson didn't say that he has no interest in being traded. Wilson said that his hope and goal Or to remain with the Seahawks. That's different than saying, no, I don't want to go anywhere. I want to never be anything other than a Seattle Seahawk in terms of my NFL career. Russell Wilson did not say that to Chris Russo. And, you know, think about it like this what if the hope and goal are not met? Because the Seahawks say, don't say, or don't do the things that Wilson wants the Seahawks to say and do. That answer from Wilson in no way shuts down talk of him potentially asking the Seahawks to trade him. Uh, as we have discussed, and as we were told by former NBC Sports Northwest Seahawks insider Joe Fan on this podcast on last Tuesday's show, episode 246, Russell Wilson is very image conscious. He puts thought into everything that he says and does, he chose his words very carefully with that answer. That we just heard. Quote, my hope and goal is to be back there and to keep winning there. That's the vision. That's the goal. That's always been it. It's never really been anything different. And quote, Russell Wilson is setting this up so that if he does end up asking to be traded or he does end up being traded, it can look like, hey, it wasn't my fault. My hope and goal were to remain with the Seahawks. Now, NFL insider Mike Garofolo of NFL Network and NFL.com on Sunday morning uh, did report the following. On the Russell Wilson situation. Take a listen. Mike Garofolo on NFL Network.
0: Wilson himself has shown no indication, at least publicly, that he wants out of Seattle. He spent the week here in Los Angeles doing a bunch of media saying he wants to stay there and win multiple Super Bowls there. He also said his relationship with Pete Carroll is as good as it's ever been. That's true. Those guys talk all the time, so there is communication. Now Carroll, at the age of 70, not looking to start over with a new quarterback, so put all of this together. It's going to take a massive haul, Ian, for someone to get Russell Wilson away from Seattle.
1: All right. So obviously what Mike Garofolo reported right there does pour a lot of cold water on this idea of the commanders potentially trading for Russell Wilson. Again, it's more unlikely than likely that the Seahawks will trade Wilson, but it's not impossible. And Wilson in that appearance on Mad Dog Sports Radio very much gave himself an out in terms of possibly asking the Seahawks to trade him. Remember, Russell Wilson has a no trade clause in his contract. So we have Russell Wilson as a dream franchise quarterback for our commanders to acquire this offseason. And we have the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers, as a dream franchise quarterback for the commanders to acquire this offseason. I have felt all along that of the big three dream franchise quarterbacks for the commanders to get this offseason, Rodgers, Wilson, and the Houston Texans' Deshaun Watson. Rodgers always has been the least likely to be traded this offseason. I now feel even more strongly on that. Uh, We on Super Bowl Sunday morning had multiple reports suggesting that Aaron Rodgers is likely to stay with the Packers. NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network and NFL.com on Sunday morning reported that the relationship between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers is, quote, in as good a spot as it has been in quite a long time leading to optimism and hope from many involved that he will choose to return. No one knows for sure what Rodgers will do, except Rodgers, and no one will rush him to do it, end quote. Uh, Rappaport added that the Packers are willing to offer Rodgers a contract that would make, quote, him the highest paid QB in the NFL on a per-year basis, likely a two-year pact worth more than $45 million dollars annually, end quote. Yeah, understand this about Aaron Rodgers contractually. The Packers in the 2021 offseason redid Rodgers' contract to where its final season, the 2023 season, will void on the seventh day prior to the start of the 2023 league year. The franchise tag window for that offseason will close one day before that, meaning that Rodgers will be untaggable after the 2022 season. This was Rappaport on NFL Network on Sunday morning.
4: Of course, so much of the focus this offseason is on Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. What is going to be his decision as far as his future? Here's what I know after spending the week talking to several sources. This relationship between Rodgers and the Packers is as good as it has been in quite some time. Case of point, he spent three or four extra days after the season just going over the future with Matt LaFleur. If Rodgers is going to stay, he's going to need a contract extension. I am told the Packers are prepared to make him the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Would likely be a two-year deal with voidable years to make it work cap-wise.
1: All right. And also on Sunday morning regarding Aaron Rodgers was this, a tweet from ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter, quote, Packers are prepared to go all in for Aaron Rodgers in 2022 spending as close to the cap this year and spreading it into future years as much as possible per sources, Saints use this approach for Drew Brees and Green Bay willing to deploy that model to further entice Rodgers. End quote. So it sure doesn't look like Aaron Rodgers is going anywhere. It certainly doesn't look like the Packers are planning on Aaron Rodgers going anywhere. Remember, Rodgers, after the Packers' home loss to the San Francisco 49ers, on January 22nd in the divisional round of the playoffs did not sound like someone who was like dead set on leaving the Packers. Uh, He sounded much different and much better than he did after the Packers lost the previous postseason, the 2021 NFL playoffs, that home loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFC Championship game in January 2021. Aaron Rodgers is high maintenance, okay? He's a diva. He complains. He puts up a big fuss. He's dramatic, but you put up with him because he's great. He's one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history, and if we're being fair, some of his complaints regarding the Packers have been justified. You know, the Packers may well have wasted a first-round pick on a quarterback in Jordan Love. Remember, the Packers in the 2020 NFL draft traded up to number 26 overall to take a quarterback in Jordan Love, and Jordan Love, at least right now, does not appear to be working out. But the Packers overall are a well-run team. Their head coach, Matt LaFleur, yes, former Redskins quarterbacks coach Matt LaFleur, has done a really good job, at least in the regular season, over his three seasons as Packers head coach. And there's no obvious better place for Aaron Rodgers right now in terms of a quarterback-needy team. Uh, You could argue, and I would argue, that Las Vegas Raiders quarterback Derek Carr is, or at least was, a dream franchise quarterback for the Commanders to acquire this offseason. I know that not everyone loves Carr. I like Carr a lot as a quarterback. But Carr, who always seemed unlikely to be traded this offseason, now appears to be even more unlikely to be traded this offseason. Ian Rappaport on Sunday reported that the Raiders are, quote, moving forward with Carr at QB, end quote, and that the Raiders are, quote, prepared to discuss a contract extension that would keep him in Las Vegas for the foreseeable future. End quote. So on Sunday, seemingly both the Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr Commander's dreams, uh, if not ended, then at least suffered severe blows. Like I said, there was a lot out there on quarterbacks on Sunday, and the news kept coming. Also on Sunday, a Jimmy Garoppolo update. Uh there is no debate whether Jimmy G will be traded this offseason. We know that the San Francisco 49ers will be trading Garoppolo. He has said as much. Uh, Garoppolo does have a no-trade clause in his contract, but the no-trade clause will expire on the first day of the new league year. Uh, The first day of the new league year is March 16th, and the no-trade clause is in no way an impediment to the 49ers trading Garoppolo. That, according to Mike Garofolo, who on Sunday morning also reported that we should expect the 49ers agreeing on a trade of Garoppolo within the next month or so. So if the Commanders are going to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, that news could be coming soon. Uh, The trade can't become official until March 16th, but a trade certainly could be agreed to before March 16th. Personally, I am not in love with the Commanders trading for Jimmy Garoppolo. His injury history scares me. The 49ers' willingness to part with him scares me. And he, to me, is a low upside quarterback. Like He's not terrible But the upside just isn't all that much. Uh, He's been around long enough to where you feel like, okay, he is what he is. You know, maybe he can get better to a degree. And certainly if he's in the right circumstance, his team can do well, as we have seen with him quarterbacking the 49ers to an NFC championship game in two of the last three seasons now. But like everything around him has to be in a really good place. And you'd like to have a quarterback who can carry your team or at least not have to have everything around him be just right in order for your team to do well. And with Garoppolo, right, you'd have to trade for him. You'd have to give up assets for him. And to give up assets for a guy like this just doesn't make a ton of sense. Also, he has just one year left on his contract. So the commanders may have to give up assets for him and extend him in order to get him. That's a lot to do for a guy who isn't necessarily a difference maker as a quarterback. If you're going to give up assets, I would much rather the commanders give up assets to trade up in the first round of the 2022 NFL draft for a quarterback with upside. You know, Say a Kenny Pickett, say a Malik Willis. I know that the 2022 quarterback draft class isn't viewed as great, but that doesn't mean that there can't be someone from the class who ends up being great. And at the very least with a Pickett or a Willis, there is upside to where if things work out the way that you want them to, the guy could end up being really good. Uh, But I would not be stunned if Ron Rivera is interested in Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, you can do worse than Jimmy G, okay? Like, again, he's not terrible. But to me, the commanders should be trying to do better than Jimmy G. The whole point of this quest for a franchise quarterback isn't to get someone who's decent, you know, isn't to get someone who's just better than Taylor Heineke. The point here is to get someone who can be great. Speaking of great, Uh, Arizona Cardinals quarterback, Kyler Murray at times has been great. And he has struck me as the most appealing potentially available quarterback for the commanders this offseason, given his talent, given his age, given that he's still on a rookie contract, although he's coming up on getting a big money contract extension. But we now have more on his rift with the Cardinals. And uh, this rift, if in fact it's rooted in what was reported on Sunday, a massive Red flag. Uh, what was reported on Sunday about Kyler Murray can change how you view Kyler Murray. So Kyler recently scrubbed his Instagram account of all but two posts while also unfollowing the Cardinals. Uh, nobody had been quite sure what to make of this. Well, ESPN NFL Insider Chris Mortensen on Sunday tweeted the following, quote, the odd vibe between the at AZ Cardinals and Kyler Murray is indeed alarming. Murray is described as self-centered, immature, and finger-pointer, per sources. Murray is frustrated with franchise and was embarrassed by playoff loss to Rams and thinks he's been framed as the scapegoat. Where's it headed? Despite the acrimony, the Cardinals expect things to calm down and Murray is their QB. Select veterans hope to reach Murray on how he handle adversity better. Coach Cliff Kingsbury also is self-scouting where he can provide better alternatives for QB. End quote. So how about that? How about that from Mort? How about that Mort report on Sunday? Kyler Murray described as self-centered, immature, and a finger pointer, according to sources for Chris Mortensen. Uh, No, thank you on Kyler Murray. If all of this is true, and that is a big if, you know, this Kyler Murray Cardinals situation now is really ugly because it's not just that he may be self-centered and immature and a finger pointer. Now you have to ask yourself, who's telling Chris Mortensen this stuff, right? I mean, in theory, this is coming from within the Cardinals organization. Who's leaking this stuff? Chris Mortensen? Are Kyler Murray's teammates giving this stuff to Chris Mortensen? Are people in the Cardinals front office giving this stuff to Chris Mortensen? Are people on the Cardinals coaching staff giving this to Chris Mortensen? So yeah, (laughs) this Kyler Murray thing could end up being an absolute mess. Now, again, I like Kyler Murray a lot as a player, but if he's some jerk, keep him as far away from our commanders as possible. We've had enough jerks over the years. Uh, And then we have this with not a jerk, but with a guy whose first name rhymes with jerk. Uh, NFL insider Tom Pellicero of NFL Network and NFL.com on Sunday reported that indications are that the Minnesota Vikings are sticking with our old pal Kirk Cousins. As their starting quarterback, the Vikings, as you likely have heard, will be announcing Los Angeles Rams offensive coordinator and, yes, former Redskins offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell as Vikings head coach this week. Uh, Kirk and KOC worked together with the Skins during KOC's time as Skins quarterback's coach. And it does look like the Vikings are retaining Kirk. Uh, not that he was ever considered much of a realistic option for the commanders. Uh, I would have been intrigued by Kirk coming back, but I'm not sure that he would have had any interest in coming back. But it doesn't look like that's going to even be worth discussing. Although the Vikings and Kirk do need to work something out contractually. Kirk has just one season left on his contract. He, for the 2022 season, has a salary cap hit of 45 Million dollars. Uh, that's a big matzo ball for the Vikings and Kirkie, a $45 million dollar salary cap hit for the 2022 season.
4: I'm a little bit more process oriented.
1: Yes, Kirk, that's a lot of money. All right, before we get to some non-Commanders slash non-Super Bowl items from the weekend, I do want to address something that became a thing on Friday. What John Riggins said about the name Commanders. Uh, Yes, John Riggins, Riggo, El Rigo, the Pro Football Hall of Fame running back, the greatest running back in Redskins slash Washington football team slash Commanders history. Uh, John Riggins is the franchise's all-time leader in regular season rushing yards. He is the franchise's all-time leader in regular season rushing touchdowns. He was the MVP of Super Bowl 17, during which he had the greatest run in franchise history. The fourth quarter, fourth and one, 43-yard touchdown run in the Skins' 27-17 win over the Miami Dolphins at the Rose Bowl. Yes, that's John Riggins. Uh, John does the John Riggins Show which is a YouTube show and also is available as a podcast. John, in an episode of the John Riggins Show that came out this past Thursday, said the following about commanders. Take a listen.
5: I feel completely disenfranchised. And I cannot, for the life of me, this is me, John Riggin's talking here, I can't understand how anybody who once played under the the, the old franchise name, the, the original franchise name, could possibly want to be a part of anything with Washington Commanders. It just, like I said, I feel completely disenfranchised. And it's like all of a sudden... You've entered oblivion. And, and I, I, you know, for the guys, I mean, everybody's going to make their own decision, and that's cool. To, you know, it's like the guys that showed up last week. They were out there, Dexter and some of the other people, Joe Theismann and Mark Mosley and Doc Walker and all of For you guys, you got a different point of view because it's like a different culture. But for John Riggins, and, I, and, and for the life of me, though, i, I got to say this. I kind of look at them and go, what's wrong with you? Don't you get it? You were invited to your own funeral. You got to, you know, view the... But not everybody looks at it that way.
1: All right. So John Riggins teeing off on Commanders. Uh, John said that the Redskins having become the Commanders makes him feel, quote, completely disenfranchised, end quote. John said that he can't, quote, understand how anybody who once played under the old franchise name, the original franchise name, could possibly want to be a part of anything with Washington Commanders end quote. Actually, if we're being technical, the original franchise name is Braves, not Redskins. The franchise began as the Boston Braves, but we get what Rigo was saying. And John said that he looked at those of his former teammates who participated in the reveal of the name Commanders on February 2nd, on, yes, 2.2.22, you know, talking about guys like Joe Theismann and Dexter Manley and Doc Walker, and thought, quote, what's wrong with you? Don't you get it? you're invited to your own funeral, end quote. Now, Riggle did concede that this was his opinion and that not everyone feels the way that he feels, but John said what he said. Now, before we go any further, it's important to understand something. Uh, John Riggins has had a very up and down relationship with Dan Snyder over the years. Uh, Dan Snyder was the primary investor in a company called Red Zebra Broadcasting that existed from 2006 to 2018 when red zebra began it began as a sports radio station called Triple X ESPN Radio the triple uh was for the three signal simulcast for the station the three signals were three very poor signals in 92.7 FM 94.3 FM and 7 30 a.m. Yes, Dan Snyder launched the sports radio station without having a quality signal. Imagine that. Uh the two fm signals were weak fm signals. The am signal was horrendous, basically worthless. So the station for 2 years, 2006 to 2008 existed on these three bad signals. Triple X ESPN Radio <laughs> used to have this embarrassing saying telling people which signal to listen to depending on where people were in the Washington DC area. I don't remember the saying, but it was something to the effect of 92.7 to the east, 94.7 to the west, and 7:30 a.m. all over DC or something like that. It was embarrassing. Like it's hard enough when a new radio station begins to get people to listen to the station and remember what the station is. Triple X ESPN Radio confused the heck out of people with which signals were which and where the station actually was on the radio dial. The whole thing was a debacle. Now, I never worked for Triple X ESPN Radio. I worked for the number one sports radio station in the Washington, D.C. market at the time, what was then Sports Talk 980, which was the station that Triple X ESPN Radio was trying to beat. Dan started Triple X ESPN Radio by rating Sports Talk 980. Dan paid a lot of money for certain people to make the jump from 980. To Triple X ESPN Radio. So, Dan paid a bunch of people a bunch of money to do radio on three terrible signals. Great business plan. Triple X ESPN Radio flopped to where Red Zebra in 2008 bought 980 and combined the two stations. And then Red Zebra ultimately ran 980 into the ground. And then 980 got bought by a company called Urban One, which made 980 even worse. And now 980 is owned by a company called Odyssey which in 2009 started another sports radio station in the D.C. area, 106.7 The Fan. And so Odyssey now owns two of the three major sports radio stations in the D.C. market. And 980, very sadly, is a shell of what it once was and is not allowed to be anything more than just the JV station in the area. Anyway, when Red Zebra started in 2006, the afternoon drive show was the John Riggins show. Dan Snyder paid Rigo a lot of money to do that show. But when Red Zebra bought 980 in 2008, Rigo did not make the cut. And Rigo ultimately turned on Dan. Uh, Riggo on Showtime's Inside the NFL in November 2009 famously called Dan Snyder a, quote, bad guy, end quote, said that Dan's, quote, heart is dark, end quote, and said that Dan had, quote, the mindset of a child, end quote. Uh, Those comments got a lot of attention at the time. John Riggins just crushing Dan Snyder. Well, eventually, Riggo got back in the good graces of Dan, or at the very least, (laughs) Riggo decided to take Dan's money again. And Riggo did stuff for the team, including a podcast and being a part of game day radio broadcasts. Uh, I actually hosted the official Redskins pregame show with John Riggins for the 2018 season. And I got to tell you, Rigo was a total class act. I have nothing bad to say about John Riggins. Uh, He is among the most humble, down-to-earth, easy-to-work-with legendary athletes you'll ever come across. Uh, John is one of the rare all-time great athletes who doesn't like talking about his career. Like, he will talk about his career, but he's not one of these guys who always makes it about him and his career and what he did. No, far from it. Like the opposite actually is true in a lot of ways. Uh, he's also someone who doesn't love a lot of the traditional rah-rah, yay team stuff. Uh, look, if you're old enough to have watched Riggo as a player, I'm not, but if you are, or if you at the very least know about Rigo's career, you know that John Riggins is a different guy. He's a different dude. And so to me, it's not shocking that John Riggins is not all about commanders. Uh, It's not a stunner that John was not at FedEx Field on February 2nd. On 2.2.22, wearing the commander's letterman jacket and marching with the various former players who were at FedEx Field. That's just not a John Riggins thing. That never has been a John Riggins thing. Although, if Dan pays Rigo enough, I very much could see Rigo making that kind of a thing His thing. Look, Riggle makes no secret of hey, I can be bought. Okay, he jokes about that all of the time. That's one of John's best qualities, self deprecation. But as far as his take on commanders goes, I get it. I totally get it. Look, everyone is different with the new name. Some people don't mind it, other people can't stand it. If you're John Riggins and you are the greatest running back in the history of the franchise, there's no debate, by the way, he is the greatest running back in the history of the franchise and the franchise is no longer known by the name that the franchise had for nearly 90 years, and the reasons that the franchise is no longer known by the name that the franchise had for nearly 90 years are highly debatable, then yeah, I can see why Rigo wants nothing to do with Commanders. Personally, when I first saw that the team was selling Commanders jerseys, of people like John Riggins and Sean Taylor, I was like, who the heck would want those? John Riggins never played for the commanders. Sean Taylor never played for the commanders. Those guys played for the Redskins. Those guys are Redskins. Now, look, I'm not a big jersey guy, so maybe if you're into jerseys, the novelty of a John Riggins commander's jersey or a Sean Taylor commander's jersey appeals to you. And if that's the case, that's fine. I mean, so much of this is subjective, right? But to me, I thought that those John Riggins and Sean Taylor Commander's jerseys looked ridiculous the first time that I saw those jerseys. Now, again, money talks, including to John Riggins. So could I see Riggo changing his tune at some point for another payday? Absolutely. Okay, and again, Rigo has poked fun at himself for having done that sort of thing. Uh, I also would say this. John Riggins and every fan or ex-fan of the team uh, who is furious about the name change, uh, yes, are furious now, but I have my doubts about whether these people would still be furious if the team became great again. And yes, I know we've been waiting for the team to become great again for 30 years, but so much of the anti-commander sentiment to me is about the team having been so bad for so long. You know, the team having been bad For most of the last 30 years, and the owner being maybe the single worst owner in major professional sports. If the commanders got themselves a franchise quarterback and put together, say, four consecutive double digit win seasons and had a deep playoff run or two, and things were looking much better, then I do think that a lot of these people who are irate over the name change would stop being so irate. I do. Like, what are you going to do? Just watch the NFL as a neutral fan with no true team for the rest of your life. Like if you were a Redskins fan and now you say that you're out on the team, I get it, I do. And I'm not saying that you're lying about this right now, but I also think that if the team gets great again, there's a better chance than you may think that you'll be back as a fan. But for now, the team is not great. And for now, things with the team are far from great. And there is a lot of anger over the name change. A name change that again happened for very debatable reasons. And if Dan Snyder had not had this rift with his three now former minority partners, I do think that there's at least a decent chance that the name of the team would still be Redskins. If Fred Smith's FedEx had not issued that statement as FedEx did on July 2nd, 2020, quote, we have communicated to the team in Washington our request that they change the team name, end quote. I do think that there's at least a decent chance that the name of the team would would still be Redskins. And so I totally get where John Riggins is coming from. And I respect where John Riggins is coming from. And when he said what he said, he spoke for a lot of fans and former fans of the team. Well, Super Bowl Sunday is traditionally a day on which the Capitals play a game and win. Uh the caps entered Super Bowl Sunday 2022 set to host a game on Super Bowl Sunday for a 14th consecutive season and the caps entered Super Bowl Sunday 2022 18 11 2 and 0 all time on Super Bowl Sundays well Super Bowl Sunday 2022 was not super for the caps uh, as they suffered really one of their worst losses of the season the caps fell to 26 15 and 9 with a 4-1 loss to the Ottawa Senators at Capital One Arena on Super Bowl Sunday afternoon. The Caps continue to lose. Uh, This was the Caps' ninth regulation loss in 16 games. This was the Caps' fifth consecutive home loss, and each of the five losses has been a regulation loss. And It's important to understand to whom the Caps lost on Super Bowl Sunday afternoon and how the Caps lost on Super Bowl Sunday afternoon. The Caps got ripped. On Super Bowl Sunday afternoon, and by a Senators team that entered the game just 16-24 and four this season, and by a senators team that was playing its third game in four days. So the Caps got ripped by a bad and in theory, anyway, fatigued Senators team. Uh, and the Caps gave up four goals to a Senators team that had been shut out to nothing. In each of its two previous games, again, this loss was one of the Caps' worst losses of the season. Uh, Still no goaltender Vitek Vanacek for the Caps. He remains out due to an upper body injury that he suffered in the 4-3 overtime win at the Pittsburgh Penguins on February 1st. Forward TJ Oshie on Sunday afternoon did not play for a 12th consecutive game due to an upper body injury that he suffered in the 2-0 win at the New York Islanders on January 15th. And Ford Anthony Mantha remains out indefinitely due to shoulder surgery that he underwent on November 5th. uh, The Caps on Sunday afternoon lost to the Senators decisively despite winning the puck possession battle handily. Uh, Caps per natural stat trick had fifty five on 5 shot attempts to the Senators 38. The Caps had 34 shots on goal to the Senators' 26. And so when it comes to why the Caps lost the game decisively despite winning the puck possession battle handily, you start with the goaltending. Uh, Ilya Samsonov was a Caps starting goaltender for a second consecutive game, and he stopped just 22 of the 26 shots on goal that he faced. Uh, Not good enough. You know, Samsonov, per natural stat trick, stopped just six of the eight high-danger shots on goal that he faced, stopped just three of the five medium-danger shots on goal That he faced. Now, Samsonov was coming off a good performance. Uh, Samsonov in the Caps previous game, the 5 2 win at the Montreal Canadiens on Thursday night, stopped 42 of the 44 shots on goal that he faced. But this is Ilya Samsonov. And if you're a Caps fan, you know this. Like, sometimes Samsonov is good, sometimes Samsonov is bad. And on Sunday afternoon, he was bad. Uh, Caps head coach Peter Laviolette, during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon, was asked if, given the absence of Vitek Vanacek, the Caps need more right now from Ilya Samsonov. Here was Laviolette's answer:
3: um, "Listen, we need more from everybody. You know, it's, I don't think it's fair to go to one guy uh, when you're when you're looking to win hockey games. Everybody's got to put their hands on the rope, and so we've got to be better uh, inside of that." Um, I thought that you know the, the game played out differently for different periods. In the first period, I thought we gave up too much off the rush. We were careless from the offensive zone a little bit with what we were doing, and it cost us. So there's odd man rushes coming back against the other way. I um, thought they were opportunistic as well. We are pushing through the rest of the game, and you it know, turns around, it comes back, and you know, they score. So it's not it is, I think everybody's got to be a little bit better.
1: Yeah, everybody on the Caps does need to be better, including on special teams. Now, Caps special teams in this 4-1 loss to the Senators at Capital One Arena on Sunday afternoon were mixed. Uh, the Caps went 5-5 of on the penalty kill. That was good. Uh, the Caps went 1-4 of on the power play. That was good, especially given how bad the Caps power play has been this season. But the Caps gave up a short-handed goal in the first period. Absolutely inexcusable. I mean, All shorthanded goals really are inexcusable, but to give up a shorty in the first period as the Caps did, the shorty put the Caps down 1-0 in the first period. Just a total buzzkill from a Caps perspective. And this is not new. The Caps giving up a shorthanded goal. This was the seventh shorthanded goal allowed by the Caps this season. The Caps are tied for the second most shorthanded goals allowed by an NHL team this season. Uh, Not good. Not good at all that the Caps have given up seven shorthanded goals on the season. Uh, The Caps' lone goal on Sunday afternoon was a power play goal by Nicholas Backstrom, 46 seconds into the second period. Alex Ovechkin had the primary assist. Defenseman John Carlson had the secondary assist. Ovechkin's assist gives him 29 goals and 31 assists this season. So he's now up to 60 points on the season. Ovechkin is fifth in the NHL In points this season. That's good, but the Caps right now are not. Uh, The Caps right now are in a rut, and they've been in this rut for a bit here. Uh, And there's some real distance now between the Caps and the first place Pittsburgh Penguins in the Metropolitan Division. The Caps are fourth in the Metro at 61 points. The Penguins are first in the Metro at 68 points. Uh, The Pens won at the New Jersey Devils 4 2 on Sunday afternoon. Now, the Caps are still positioned well in terms of making the Stanley Cup playoffs. The Caps are the first wild card team in the Eastern Conference, four points ahead of the second wildcard team in the East, the Boston Bruins, and 11 points ahead of the next best team in the Eastern Conference's wild card standings, the Detroit Red Wings. But the Caps need to start playing better, and the goaltending does remain a concern. Here was some more from Peter Lobulette during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon. We're win one, lose one. That's definitely not where we want to be. Um...
3: We're, we, I think, we expect more of ourselves from that. It's disappointing again being here in our building, you know, in front of our fans. We got to be better than that, we've got to win hockey games at home. Here, we're getting it done on the road, but we got to get it done at home.
1: Yes, you do. But next up for the Caps, a four-game road trip that will begin with a game at the Nashville Predators Tuesday night at eight. All right, let's talk Wizards. So when it comes to the Wiz off the three trades that the team made on NBA trade deadline day this past Thursday, and with Bradley Beal done for the rest of the regular season, what's undeniable to me anyway is that what would be best for the Wizards the rest of this regular season would be for the team's younger players to develop and play well, but also for the Wizards to not make the NBA playoffs, get into the NBA draft lottery, and enjoy some actual good luck in the lottery for once and get a good enough pick to where the team can get itself a really good player in the 2022 NBA draft. The classic Wizards thing in a lost season is the team playing well late in the season, damaging the team's lottery chances and seducing people into thinking that the team is better than it actually is. I have no idea what Wizards management actually truly wants out of the rest of the team's 2021-2022 2021-2022 regular season. But what I just laid out is what I want as a Wizards fan. Younger players to develop and play well, but the team not making the playoffs. Well, the Wizards' playoff chances took another blow on Saturday night. The Wizards fell to 25-30 and 30 with a 123-110 loss to the Sacramento Kings at Capital One Arena on Saturday night. The Wizards lost for the ninth time in 11 games. The Wizards fell to just 15-27 and 27 since their 10-3 start to the season. Uh, Chris Stapps Porzingis did not make his Wizards debut. He did not play due to the right knee bone bruise that he has been dealing with. If I'm the Wizards, I am in no rush to have Porzingis make his Wizards debut. He has a significant injury history with his knees. Let his body Rest up. I actually think there's a compelling argument for Porzingis not to play the rest of the season. I don't think that'll happen. I think that Porzingis will play. Uh but you know, what matters the most here is next season, not this season right now, for the Wizards. Uh Daniel Gafford on Saturday night did not play for a third consecutive game due to being In the NBA's health and safety protocols. And Bradley Beal, of course, is out for the rest of the regular season due to a torn ligament in his left wrist on which he underwent surgery on Thursday. The Wizards were a bad team before the trade deadline. They continued to be a bad team on Saturday night. The Wizards blew a 13 point second quarter lead. They led in the second quarter 55 42, then allowed the Kings to go on a 74 43 run that put the wizards down in the fourth quarter by 18 points at 116-98. And yes, the wizards are missing some key pieces right now, but understand the kings are not exactly world beaters this season. The kings came into this game just 21 and 36 on the season, 15 games below 500. The kings have some talented offensive players, but it's not like the kings are some great team this season. Uh, the Wizards defense was terrible. Once again, on Saturday night, the Wizards allowed the Kings to score 99 points over the final three quarters of the game. The Wizards allowed the Kings to go 12 to 28 on threes. The Wizards allowed the Kings to go 31 of 48 on twos and got outscored in the paint 50, 40. And the Wizards had trouble defending without fouling. The Kings went 25 to 29 on free throws. The Wizards went just 15 to 21 on free throws, uh, the Wizards' shooting was just okay, but certainly was not good enough to overcome what the Kings did. Uh, the Wiz went 13 of 38 on threes, went 28 of 50 on twos, and like I said, the Wiz went just 15 of 21 on free throws. Uh, continuing to struggle for the Wizards was Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Uh, he, in 29 minutes, three seconds, as a starter on Saturday night, went just one of four on threes, had a game-worst plus-minus rating of minus 16. KCP in this month of February now is a mere five of 19 on threes. Uh, Not good. Also struggling for the Wizards on Saturday night was Neto. Uh, He was a Wizards starting point guard for a second consecutive game, but he went just one of five on threes in 28-24 as a starter. Three bright spots for the Wizards on Saturday night were Kyle Kuzma, Corey Kispert, and Ish Smith. Uh, Kyle Kuzma, who has been a bright spot for the Wizards for most of this season, he on Saturday night, 2 of 6 on threes, 5 of 8 on twos, 6 of 8 on free throws, finished with 22 points, 8 rebounds, and 7 assists versus 2 turnovers in 35-08 as a starter. Corey Kispert, a young guy who you would love to see develop and play well as the season goes on here, he in 35-48 as a starter on Saturday night, 4 of 11 on threes, 3 of 5 on twos, finished with 20 points, 6 assists. Versus two turnovers and three rebounds. So it was good to see that. And Is Smith in his redebut, of having been reacquired by the Wizards on NBA Trade Deadline Day on Thursday, 1936 off the bench on Saturday night, 101 on threes, 3 of 6 on twos, finished with nine points, five assists versus one turnover and three steals. Uh, the Wizards at 25 and 30 have the fifth worst record. In the Eastern Conference. Remember, the way that the NBA playoffs now work, the top six teams in each conference make the playoffs, and then teams numbers seven through 10 in each conference make the play in tournament for the playoffs. Uh, To me, there's no point in the Wizards making the playoffs this season. In order for the Wizards to make the playoffs this season, the Wiz would almost certainly have to make the playoffs via the play in tournament. And if all you are is a play in tournament playoff team, then you have no realistic shot of doing anything significant in the NBA playoffs. The NBA playoffs are not the NFL playoffs in which you say, all right, just get into the postseason and see what happens. No, the NBA playoffs, best of seven series, it is so hard for lower seeded teams to do well in NBA postseasons. Not impossible, but quite hard, quite difficult. The focus to me for the Wizards needs to be on next season. Assuming that Bradley Beal is staying. And as for Bradley Beal and whether he is staying on the Wizards, so of course he can opt out of his contract this summer. He has yet to formally accept the Wizards max contract extension offer from this past October. The belief is that Beal will be opting out this summer in order to at least be re-signed to a supermax contract of five years and 240 plus million dollars. But whether Beal will demand a sign and trade seemingly has been up in the air. Well, Wizards president and general manager Tommy Shepard spoke for quite a while on Friday in a virtual press conference addressing what the Wizards did on NBA trade deadline day on Thursday. Here was an annoyed Tommy Shepard on Friday on Bradley Beal's future with the Wizards.
4: I don't know how many more times I can touch base on this subject. That certainly, we plan on him being here in the future. and If he feels otherwise, I'm sure he'll let me know. But we've been partnership with all of our players you know we're very transparent and certainly on the go-ahead we, we want the best players the best situation for everybody to be successful players like bradley don't come along very long very often and 10 years in maybe i'm a little bit biased but i saw last year an all-nba player who led the league in the scoring for most of the entire season and was pretty amazing and we changed the roster up and certainly his responsibilities got a lot more this season with the ball in his hands and stuff. But he's playing through a lot of injuries, had a lot of things hit him during the season, too. It's not the season that he wanted, certainly, but it's still pretty darn good. Uh, he led us to a lot of wins. And, you know, I, I do think that he, he's made it clear to me anyway. This is his intentions are still the same as they always were to help build this franchise up, help lead us to another uh, to a championship ultimately. But there's no skipping steps. And I'm not going to sit here and say this team's ready to win a championship today, but the moves you make today can help you get there down the road. And we can't run from that. And we're not going to sit there and say, well, we'll just wait three years till we have cap space or anything. No, you got to keep trying to get better every day. And to acquire, to, to sit down at the table, you got to have chips to play. And that's all we're trying to do. Continue to do that, continue to develop our young guys.
1: Yeah, that sounds great, but even though Tommy Shepard on Friday was annoyed with being asked about the Bradley Beal situation and initially made it sound like Beal was staying, Shepard also left the door open for Beal to ask for a trade. Did Shepard not do that? Quote, if he feels otherwise, I'm sure he'll let me know, end quote. So on the one hand, Shepard's like, guys, you keep asking me about this. I'm telling you, Beal wants to stay here. On the other hand, Shepard threw in there, yeah, Beal feels otherwise. I'm sure he'll let me know. Like, that does not sound like Bradley Beal is definitely staying with the Wizards. That sounds like Bradley Beal still could be asking to be traded. The Beal situation remains up in the air, and that's a problem. You know, this situation has held the Wizards hostage for way too long. And as I've been saying, Beal isn't good enough to be holding the Wizards hostage. He is not a superstar. If he was a superstar, then maybe possibly you could understand the Wizards allowing themselves to be held hostage by Bradley Beal. He's not that good. Okay, in terms of being at the level of a superstar player. Now, he is a good player. And I think that for the most part, he's a good guy or certainly seems to be. But the Wizards treat Bradley Beal like an elite player in terms of offering him max contracts and begging him to stay and consulting with him on trades. But there's just one problem. He isn't an elite player. He's a good player. He's a likable guy, but he isn't an elite player and he hasn't led the Wizards to anything. I'm not against Beal staying with the Wizards, but I am in no way in love with paying him nearly $50 million per year via a Supermax contract. Uh, one other thing from Tommy Shepard on Friday. Here was Tommy on Friday on uh, the biggest trade by the Wizards on NBA trade deadline day on Thursday, trading Spencer Dinwiddie and Davies Bertans to the Dallas Mavericks for Chris
4: Stapp's Porzingis and a protected 2022 second round pick. I can't say this enough. You you can't be afraid to take big swings. When you get an opportunity uh, in the summer with free agency, when you get an opportunity with trades, especially trade deadline, some things present themselves to you. And Jerry West told me when I got this job, don't ever be afraid to take a big swing. You know, There's only going to be so many opportunities to get talent. And and to get talent, you have to give up talent and understand that We, we acquired three of the players that went out yesterday weren't with us last season. They were new players and they were part of our go forward. But you know, the trade deadline gives you unique opportunities and and Chris Stapps, I think he's the part I was mentioning earlier where we think we upgraded our talent level here. You know, he's a former All-Star. He was having an excellent season. Certainly there's injury history there. We have a fantastic medical staff. We have a fantastic plan in place. I think there's an opportunity there uh, here to, to play the style of ball that Wes wants to play with his teammates here, I think you're going to see uh, great things for us. He represents so many different areas of, you know, he's a, he's a floor-spacing big who can shoot the, the blood off the ball and give us a lot of opportunities to, to score different places, but he's also good rim protection. And I think if you study the league, you know, defensive presence is a very big thing. Rim protection is a big thing. Being able to space the floor is a big thing. Shooting threes is a big thing, and he, he, he captures all that in one. So there was a great opportunity there. But uh, certainly to get him, you had to get something up.
1: All right. So Tommy Shepard on Friday categorized the trade that sent Spencer Dinwiddie and Davies Bertons to the Mavericks for Chris Stamps, Porzingis, and a protected 2022 second round pick as taking a big swing. Uh, let's make something clear. That trade was not a big swing. OK, that trade was a necessary swing. The Dinwiddie and Bertons contracts that Tommy Shepard agreed to were disasters for the Wizards, okay? The trade was a cleanup job. Now, Shepard did a nice job in the cleanup job, okay? Getting Porzingis into protected 2022 second round pick for Dinwiddie and Bertons was a nice haul, but the Wizards should have never been in the predicament in which they had to get rid of Dinwiddie and Bertons so soon to begin with. The Wizards acquired Dinwiddie last August 6th in a sign-and-trade that was part of that five-team mega-trade with the Los Angeles Lakers, Brooklyn Nets, San Antonio Spurs, and Indiana Pacers. The Dinwiddie contract is a three-year, $54 million contract. Dinwiddie was supposed to be the Wizards' starting point guard for the next three seasons. He ended up being traded away before the All-Star break in his first season with the Wizards. That's a disaster. So this Chris porzingis trade does not qualify as a big swing, uh, it is perhaps a nice swing given the circumstances, but this isn't some big swing. This isn't a rolling of the dice of, hey, we're aiming high and we're displaying courage as a front office and taking a chance here. No, this is a trade that was an attempt to fix a mess that you created, all right? I didn't even mention the Davies Bertons contract. November 2020, the Wizards re-signed Davies to a five-year, $80 million contract that was a debacle for the team. Remember, Davies Bertans was a DNPCD for each of four consecutive games in late January slash early February. I like Tommy Shepard, but the truth is the truth about what this Chris porzingis trade actually is. Now, I do think that a Wizards nucleus of Bradley Beal, Chris Stapps-Porzingis, and Kyle Kuzma is interesting, okay? Not championship caliber, but interesting, but let's not go nuts in like patting Tommy Shepard on the back right now. Okay, let's view things as they are, not as they are being portrayed to be. Uh, next up for the Wizards, home to the Detroit Pistons, Monday night at 7. Well, the theme lately in college basketball in terms of the major four programs in the region has been Maryland and Georgetown bad, Virginia and Virginia Tech good. And that theme continued over the weekend as both the Terrapins and the Hoyas lost and both the Cavaliers and the Hokies won, setting up a big game in Blacksburg on Monday night. More on that game in a bit. But oh, what could have been for Maryland On Super Bowl Sunday afternoon, the Terrapins nearly pulled off a shocker, but they ultimately did lose. The Terps fell to 11-14 overall and 3-11 in the Big Ten with a 62-61 loss at number three Purdue. Yeah, the Terps missed on a golden opportunity for a huge win. Look, I give the Terps credit. They battled, they fought, but geez, they just could not come through and they blew a big lead. Uh, The Terps blew a 12-point second-half lead. The Terps led in the second half by 12 points at 48-36. The Terps then allowed Purdue to go on a 26-11 run for a 62-59 lead with less than 10 seconds left in the second half. Now, Fats Russell went 2-2 on free throws with 8.1 seconds left to cut the Terps' deficit 62-61. then came an absolute gift for the Terps, a team turnover by Purdue on an inbounds pass with 7.8 seconds left as Purdue ran the baseline when Purdue was no longer allowed to run the baseline. So the Terps got this gift, got to inbound the ball from behind the Purdue basket while trailing by one at 62-61 with 7.8 seconds left. But a Dante Scott layup attempt was rejected. The Terps failed to get the loose ball. And the game ended with the Terps losing by one, 62-61. And the Terps did what they did despite being without arguably their best player, Eric Yala. Yeah, no Eric Yala for the Terps on Sunday. He did not play due to a wrist injury. Uh, the Terps' defense was really good on Sunday afternoon. Maryland has not been a good defensive team lately. Maryland was a good defensive team On Sunday afternoon, this win for Purdue was its first win this season in a game in which Purdue's point total was in the 60s. You know, Purdue is one of the better offensive teams in the country this season. Maryland held that Purdue team to 62 points on Sunday afternoon. The Terps allowed Purdue to go 6 of 11 on threes in the second half. That was a problem, but the Terps held Purdue to just 2 of 9 on threes in the first half. The Terps held Purdue for the game to just 15 to 32 on twos. The Terps got Purdue to commit 16 turnovers and totaled eight steals. I mean, given the opponent, this defensive performance by the Terps was arguably their best defensive performance of the season. Uh, the Terps' offense was mixed. Uh, the bad included the Terps' three-point shooting. Uh, Maryland went just 5-of-18 on threes. No surprise there if you follow the Terps this season. And Maryland committed 14 turnovers, but the Terps did go 19-of-37 on twos and did have 18 fast break points to produce four. Just ultimately not enough as the Terps ended up losing by just the one point. Uh, very gutsy performance by the Rhode Island transfer, the Terps' point guard, Fats Russell. Uh, Now, he went just 2-7 on threes, did commit five turnovers, too. But Fats also went 7-10 on twos, 4-4 on free throws. He finished with 24 points, 9 rebounds, 6 assists, and 3 steals in 37 minutes as a starter. Given that Eric Ayala was out, an increased burden was on Fats Russell on Sunday afternoon. And to me, for the most part, he came through. Like, Fats Russell really carried Maryland for chunks of this game on Sunday afternoon. Fats really has endeared himself to Terps fans with his work this season. It's too bad that this is such a bad Maryland season because otherwise, Fats Russell might be looked at a little differently. I think he's done a nice job overall, though, for the Terps this season. Certainly did a good job overall on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Dante Scott on Sunday afternoon, just one of four on threes, just three of eight on twos. He finished with 11 points, five rebounds, two blocks and two steals in 36 minutes as a starter. Really disappointing to see what happened on that final Maryland offensive possession. I know that some people say that Dante Scott got fouled. I didn't think that him getting fouled was as obvious as some others uh, suggested, but whatever. I mean, beyond Fats Russell, Maryland's offense just was not that good in this game on Sunday afternoon. The guy who really hurt the Terps offensively was the Georgetown transfer, Uh, the 6'11 big man, Kudis Wahab. uh, Very tough game for Kudis on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Kudis Wahab in 23 minutes as a starter, no assists. Versus five turnovers. Now that's bad enough if you're a guard, but for a big man to have five turnovers in just 23 minutes of playing time, uh, that's brutal. Okay, Uh, Kudus Wahab also went 0-1 on threes, three of five on twos. He finished with seven points and four rebounds. Uh, I don't think that any Terps player has been more disappointing this season than Kudus Wahab has been. Uh, Maryland landing him as a transfer from Georgetown was seen as a major acquisition, and he just has not been good this season. His playing time has not been nearly as much as I think a lot of people anticipated. And I really do wonder if Kudus Wahab regrets leaving Georgetown. I mean, not that the Hoyas are killing it this season, but Kudus Wahab was viewed in a pretty positive way as last Georgetown season went on. He is not viewed uh, in the same way at all so far here with Maryland. Things just have not gone well for him as a Terrapin. Uh, to me, interim head coach Danny Manning needs to play more of the freshman Julian Reese and less of Kudis Wahab. I know that Reese isn't a polished product, but he's got great potential, he's got great ability, and he's part of the future of the Maryland program. So the Terps now have lost five consecutive games. Next up for Maryland at Nebraska this Friday night At nine. Well, speaking of Georgetown, and speaking of losing streaks, uh, Georgetown now has lost 13 consecutive games. So the Hoyas fell to 6 and 17 overall, and 0 and 12 in the Big East with an 80-66 loss to Creighton at Capital One Arena on Saturday afternoon. The Hoyas in falling to 0 12 in the Big East, tied for the seventh worst start in Big East play in a season in conference history. Uh, Hoyas never led in the second half. They did cut their deficit in the second half to four points at 50-46, but the Hoyas then allowed Creighton to end the game on a 30-20 run. This was another woeful defensive performance for Georgetown. The Hoyas could not stop six-foot-seven Ryan Hawkins, who went 8 of 18 on threes, finished with 30 points, 12 rebounds, and six assists versus one turnover in 37 minutes as a starter. The Hoyas also got worked By the Creighton big man, the seven foot one Ryan Kalkbrenner, who went ten of sixteen from the field, all twos, finished with twenty two points, fifteen rebounds, including seven offensive boards and two blocks in thirty one minutes as a starter. He did have no assists versus four turnovers. The Hoyas, though, allowed Creighton to go eighteen of thirty two on twos, got outscored in the paint. 3422. I've talked about Georgetown not being good defensively. This was just another performance in which you say to yourself the Hoyas give themselves next to no chance with the defense being as woeful as it was. Uh, Hoyas as of games through Saturday just 256th out of 358 teams in Division 1 in adjusted defensive efficiency for com. Adjusted defensive efficiency is points allowed per 100 possessions adjusted for opponents. Uh, also, the Hoyas shooting was awful on Saturday afternoon. Hoyas went a putrid 6-24 on threes. Hoyas went just 20-47 of on twos. The 6-5, five-star freshman Amino Muhammad underwhelming game, just 4-12 from the field, all twos. He played for just 24 minutes as a starter, finished with 11 points, four rebounds, two assists, versus no turnovers. Point guard Dante Harris, 0-3 on threes, just 5-13 of on twos. He had five assists. Versus five turnovers in 30 minutes as a starter. Also finished with 10 points, three steals, and four rebounds. Uh, Caden Rice in 31 minutes off the bench. Just two of seven on threes. Although he did go four of four on twos. Finished with 16 points and five rebounds. The biggest bright spot for Georgetown was Donald Carey. And he, to me, has been Georgetown's best player this season. Carey on Saturday afternoon. Three of eight on threes. Three of six on twos. He finished with 16 points. Seven rebounds, including three offensive boards and two assists. Versus no turnovers in 35 minutes as a starter. But bottom line, this is a nightmare of a season for the Hoyas. 0-12 in the Big East. Next up for Georgetown, a rematch with Creighton at Creighton, Monday night at 9. Also on Monday night, a clash in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Virginia at Virginia Tech at 7. And this game has some real juice to it. Each team is rolling right now. Uh, let's start with Wahoo Wah. uh, Virginia improved to 16-9 overall and 10-5 in the ACC with a 63-53 win over Georgia Tech at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville on Saturday. The Cavaliers won their fourth consecutive game. The Cavs, with this victory, clinched winning at least 10 ACC regular season games for a 10th consecutive season. How about that accomplishment? For a decade now. Virginia has won at least 10 ACC regular season games each season. That's not easy to do, and yet UVA has accomplished that. Uh, The Cavs on Saturday never trailed in this game. Uh, They did allow a 17-point late first half lead to get trimmed to four points in the second half at 53-49, but the Cavs then won the rest of the game 10-4. Wahoo's defense was excellent for a fourth time in as many games during the team's four-game winning streak. The Hoos held Georgia Tech to just 53 points. Who's held Georgia Tech to just 4 12 on threes? Who's defended without fouling? Georgia Tech went to 7 10 on free throws. The Who's went 21 of 23 on free throws. So the Who's tripled up the Yellow Jackets in terms of points off free throws 21 versus 7. And the Who's generated 15 Georgia Tech turnovers, outscored Georgia Tech in points off turnovers. 19-13. 19-13. Big game for the East Carolina transfer, Jaden Gardner, 10 of 19 from the field, all two, six of 6-6 six on free throws. He finished with 26 points, seven rebounds, including four offensive boards, three blocks, and two assists versus no turnovers in 36 minutes, 44 seconds as a starter. Also, really nice game for Virginia's 5'10 senior point guard, Kihei Clark. Uh, Kihei came through down the stretch. He scored seven of his 15 points over the final 235 of the second half. Before the game, went 3-7 on threes, 1-1 on twos, 4-4 on free throws, finished with 15 points, 4 rebounds, 2 steals, and a game-best plus-minus rating of plus 13 in 35-55 as a starter. Kihei did have just two assists versus four turnovers, but he's been good lately. Uh, he's been a key during this four-game winning streak for Virginia, and he certainly was key. Uh, on Saturday in this win over Georgia Tech. UVA won despite a rough game for the Indiana transfer Armand Franklin. 0-5 on threes, just 2-5 on twos, had just five points, no rebounds, and one assist versus three turnovers and 34-51 as a starter. But everyone right now is in on the defense, and that's the calling card for Virginia under head coach Tony Bennett, right? Uh, Virginia had this lackluster start to its conference season in no small part because the defense was inconsistent. Well, the defense has very much gotten on track recently, and not so coincidentally, Virginia now is up to being 10-5 and in the ACC. Here was UVA head coach Tony Bennett during his postgame press conference on Saturday evening on his team having won four straight.
3: Yeah, you know, we talk about just pursuing and chasing quality, and if that results in a win, all the better. But, but can we just you know I think they're understanding I told them the bigger things of what we need to do now it's continuing to turn the screws on the little things and you never can leave the big things about soundness with the ball and and trying to be back in transition and rebounding but continuing to execute and fine tune and it's just been good to see a few different guys step up and um you know having that mindset of playing to win instead of playing not to lose and there's a subtle difference but it's important and you have to you know get a couple of victories and then playing these settings and you just keep you know going back to it and pursuing that kind of quality and, and understanding the outcome based stuff okay um but it's about you know grinding away and winning the majority of the possessions. so i think that's sort of the mindset it, it really doesn't change but obviously to have a few in a row um and um you get tested every time out so i think we're still realistic about being ready
1: and the Cavs better be ready on Monday night because they'll be at a Virginia Tech team that is surging. Uh, the Hokies improved to 15-10 overall and 7-7 in the ACC with a 71-59 win over Syracuse at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg on Saturday evening. The Hokies won their fifth consecutive game off a 2-7 start in the ACC. So Virginia's gone from 6-5 in the ACC to 10-5 in the ACC. And Virginia Tech has gone from 2-7 in the ACC to 7-7 in In the ACC. Uh, Now, the Hokies on Saturday evening did blow a 12-point second half lead. Uh, They went from leading 49-37 to the game being tied at 54, thanks to a 17-5 run by Syracuse. But the Hokies then ended the game with a 17-5 run of their own. Uh, Tech's defense ended up being quite good on Saturday evening. Tech held Syracuse to just 10 of 27 on threes, including just 6 and 19 on threes in the second half. Tech held Syracuse to just 14 of 37 on twos. Tech did a pretty good job, all things considered, on Buddy Bayheim, son of Syracuse head coach Jim Bayheim. A Buddy Bayheim four of ten on threes, just four nine on twos, scored 21 points, but on 19 field goal attempts. I think you take that if you're Virginia Tech and Tech played its good defense without fouling. Uh, Syracuse for the game went just one of four on free throws. That's it. Four free throw attempts the entire game for Syracuse. Uh tech 17 of 21. On free throws for the game. So Tech outscored Syracuse on free throw points in the game 17 1. Uh, Hokies had an odd game offensively. On the one hand, Hokies did not shoot well. Uh, Hokies had been shooting well. Hokies did not shoot well on Saturday evening, just 8 27 on threes, just 15 33 on twos. But the Hokies took care of the basketball and then some. The Hokies finished the game with 20 assists versus four turnovers and got to the free throw line a bunch. Like I said, 17 21. On free throws, Uh, Tech as of games through Saturday, number 18 in Division I in adjusted offensive efficiency for KentPalm.com. Adjusted offensive efficiency is points per 100 possessions adjusted for opponents. Uh, Big game for Justin Mutz on Saturday evening, a triple-double, what was just the second triple-double in the history of of Virginia Tech men's basketball. You would have thought there had been more than one triple-double in the history of Virginia Tech men's basketball, but no, Uh, Justin Mutz's triple-double was number two in the history of Virginia Tech men's basketball. Mutz on Saturday evening, 5-10 from the field, all twos, 2-2 on free throws. He finished with 12 points, 14 rebounds, including four offensive boards, and 11 assists versus one turnover in 38 minutes. As a starter, tremendous performance by Justin Mutz. Keve Aluma, 7 of 13 from the field, all twos. He finished with 20 points, 5 rebounds, 2 blocks, and 2 steals in 36 minutes as a starter. Uh, Hunter Couture did go just 3 of 10 on threes, 5 of 6 on free throws, but he finished with 14 points, 7 rebounds, and 2 steals in 32 minutes. As a starter, there's a lot to like right now with how Virginia Tech is playing and what Virginia Tech is doing. Here was the Hokies head coach, Mike Young, during his post-game press conference on Saturday night with his thoughts on the first meeting for Virginia Tech with Virginia this season. which was a 54-52 Virginia win over Virginia Tech at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville on January 12th.
3: You know, I thought it was a, you know, a whale of a ball game. Um, Kefaro and, uh, and, uh, and Shedrick, Kefaro in particular, um, were just more physical than, uh, than our team. Um, we're going to play a good ball game. Virginia's playing awfully good basketball, uh, and I uh, think it'll be another um, great game in the castle, and, you know, it'll be, uh, it'll be a lot of fun. We know, uh, our team knows that uh, that we'll have to play you know we'll have to play even better on uh, on on Monday against uh, against Virginia.
1: Yeah, you heard Mike Young mention Cafaro. That would be the seven foot one Francisco Cafaro. He's from Argentina and he was a big factor in Virginia's win over Virginia Tech in the first meeting between these two teams back on January twelfth in Charlottesville. Cafaro in that game, thirty minutes, thirty one seconds off the bench, five of seven from the field, all twos, finished with sixteen points and nine rebounds, including five. Offensive boards. Uh, good matchup on Monday night. Looking forward to this. Virginia at Virginia Tech. With each team right now doing quite well. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me the. Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com Tuesday show episode 251 will feature much more on the commanders. Who the heck knows what's going to pop up over the course of the day on Monday. Uh, also, I'll post game games on Monday night for the Wizards, Georgetown, Virginia and Virginia Tech. The Wizards will host the Detroit Pistons Monday night at seven. The Hoyas will be at Creighton Monday night at nine and the Cavaliers will be at the Hokies Monday night at seven. Have a great rest of your Monday. Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday.
2: I'm told for the first time ever, there is a sense among ownership that the time may have come for Daniel Snyder to move on.